Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let me tell you, it has been six years, believe it or not. Six years. It just, it seems unbelievable that so much time has passed since we first, probably for most of us, first heard the name Nathan Cirillo, certainly became aware of what happened in Ottawa, of the tragedy. Uh, Here in Hamilton, this is a story we know very, very well. I don't think there's too many people in this city who don't know the Nathan Cirillo story. And we even now have a a park named after him. If you go up in Ancaster in the Meadowlands uh, where he used to walk his dog. I mean, it's a, it's a very familiar name, but around the country, chances are the time this happened, his name was familiar, but I don't know how familiar it remains. And I say that with, with absolute respect, the same way that I would say, you know what, um, when people were killed in Nova Scotia, we heard the names initially. I don't know how many of them would still resonate with us. We can't, uh, sadly, there's enough tragedies in the world that we can't remember the names of everybody and every story that is out there. Maybe we, we should, maybe we should try better, but we just, we can't. But Nathan Cirillo around here, absolutely a name we all know. But this story has been taken back to the people of Canada in the recent days on the Dark Poutine podcast. It's a great podcast series that is done, uh, tells stories of, of Canadian and Canadian, Canadian stories, Canadian crime. And it, this week, has taken on the Nathan Cirillo story. Mike Brown is the host of Dark Poutine. He joins me now. Mike, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm damn great. You got a great podcast voice. I'll tell you that. Oh, um, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it works perfectly. If you, as soon as you said your name, it was like, that guy should be doing a podcast. <laughs> um, this is a story, as I just said in the intro, this is a story that obviously resonates very strongly still in the Hamilton area. It's not the same everywhere, though, honestly, is it? I mean, this this is a name. It's a story that was very big for a while, but you know, people move on with their lives. And if it's not local, they don't remember it as well. No, this is exactly why I do the podcast that I do. Um, you mentioned that, um, you know, you hear a story locally. Um, news in Canada is a very regional thing. Depends on where you are. Right? Um, the news organizations there will tell you stories that you'd be interested in, obviously. But um, my feeling was there were a lot of stories in Canada that people don't typically hear about. And I wanted to tell all the whole country rather than just uh, a regional thing. So what is it about his story? And and again, I'm speaking, I know what I would answer to this. I think most people in Hamilton know what they would answer, but as someone who's not from here, what is it about his story that is fascinating or that would hold people's interest? Um, For me, uh, it was just the fact that here, this guy is doing something that he really wanted to do. He was completely unarmed. He was uh, in a stance of respect. Um, It was his dream to be in the place that he was, and someone murdered him right there. That, to me, just uh, spoke volumes. And there is certainly, um, there's a word that gets thrown into this as well that um, makes all of us pay attention, and that is the idea of terrorism. And this was an act of, I mean, it, you're, you correctly said he was murdered, but there was also a terror element to this. You know, 9-11 didn't happen here. Certainly, we know enough about it. We remember it 
clearly enough, but anytime you hear terrorism now or someone attacking the House of Commons or something, that's going to make people pay attention. Yeah, it definitely did bring uh, the idea of terrorism home. And um, that's another thing that we addressed in this week's show. We talk a little bit about uh, Canadian terror incidents. Some of them were thwarted by the police, but uh, there have been quite a few um, over time since 2000, uh, 2001, 9-11. So um, I just thought it was really important that, that people you know, have some understanding that, that this stuff does happen here at home. And especially um, to somebody who, like Nathan, who was just doing what he wanted to do. And all the stories you hear about this guy, he, he seemed like a fantastic person. It, it seems fitting that a dog park was named after him because he, he so loved his dogs. Um, that was another thing that struck me. My dad was a veterinarian as I grew up and, and I'm always, I'm a sucker for dog people. How different would this story have been remembered or have been perceived or how much would Nathan Cirillo's story have been different or differently perceived if it had ended when he was shot? Because such a, a, a dramatic part of this continues when the, when the shooter, when the terrorist goes into the house of commons and now parties, governments are locked up in, in secure rooms and everything else. That that seems to me to, you know, there's a huge tragedy in the shooting outside by the cenotaph, but there's a huge mm-hmm. other part of it that is the drama that happens afterwards. Oh, for sure. I mean, that was our main, our major focus was Nathan, Nathan's story uh, in the episode. But um, the other things that happened inside uh, center block were just also really intense uh, but I would have had to have a three-hour show to make that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I can't keep keep people's attention, nor my own, for more than an hour. But there is there are many crime stories, even that we've had in this city and, or in this country, and somehow so many of them seem to come around here. I mean, with the Bernardos or whatever else, and there's drama involved in them. This, though, this is, this is a different kind of crime drama story because it was an active thing. I mean, you could have made a... I mean, I hate to, I don't want to diminish it. That's not what I'm doing, but you, you could have made an episode of 24 about what happened or something like that, like an action, oh, yeah. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a long drawn out thing. It was a very intense action situation that, that took place. We don't get, a, I mean, we have active shooters in this country, I know, but not, there's not a lot like this, especially again, when you bring in the House of Commons and our elected officials who are now seemingly the targets or part of the targets. Right. I mean, this thing only, it only, uh, the duration of it was two and a half minutes, something like that, from the time that he shot Cirillo until he got inside and was neutralized himself. Uh, but so much happened in the interim, and there are people who suffer PTSD to this day. I was reading a lot of news articles around it, and people say they can still smell the gunpowder. Uh, one girl, um, messaged me um, after the show and said she was in center block working in the gift shop um, at the time. And she still has trouble sleeping around this thing because she remembers it every now and again. I don't think there's all that many Canadians that are eager to have guns the way they are in the States. At the same time, it always has stunned me going back to this story how easily a guy with a gun is able to get into the House of Commons. And there's seemingly, I mean, even to the point, 
And Mike, I don't, I don't even know if they've changed anything since then. But the fact no. that we've got these, oh, sorry, go ahead, first of all. Yeah, they, they did make some changes to their security protocols uh, around entry into the building after this. But I, do, I don't know how stringent they are, whether there's metal detectors or any of that kind of thing. Um, I haven't been there personally. It was closed when I was there in 2018. So um, I wanted to explore that option because I had planned to do this show for quite some time, but, uh, but they have made some changes. I just am not aware of which. But even then, I mean, even if you put metal detectors up, which is very Canadian to put metal detectors up, if you don't have someone who with a capacity to stop someone, mm-hmm. if I walk through a metal detector with a gun and no one else has a gun around, you can have all the metal detectors you want. I'm still going through. It doesn't, there's no magnet that pulls the gun out of my hands. And, and it just, it was amazing to me that our, house of governance was that easy to penetrate at that time that 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 was a part of sorry you're listening to the scott thompson show podcast on 900 chml to my other point the fact that we had soldiers standing guard at the cenotaph holding rifles that had no bullets in them also seemed in a sad way i suppose kind of canadian I, i i know it's just symbolic but there was, I don't know, there was something that always kind of got me about that, that they were not able to defend themselves and yet they were a symbol of our country and they were supposed to be somehow protecting in a weird, simple kind of way the, the cenotaph. That, that always seemed odd to me. Yeah, I always wonder, have wondered since this happened, whether that guy uh, whose name I shall not mention uh, thought that um, there would be, uh, those guns would be loaded and that's where it would have ended. Uh, maybe he thought that. I don't know. But uh, Or was Nathan Cirillo just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and this guy spotted him? I don't know if he was part of the plan or, or what went on in this person's mind because he did, really didn't leave us much to go from other than the fact that uh, he wanted to do this to hurt, hurt Canada and Canadians. But Nathan Cirillo and the others who were there, they are representative of the system. They are there in uniform at a monument. They are part of the the system. And so if you're going to go and do damage, that would be a an obvious, I would think, target. And it turned out he was. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, not to, um, well, okay. Let, let, let me stop for a second here because there's one other part of this and you, you said, and I, and I love that you did this. You said you're not going to name the, the person who was behind this, but there's another part of this story there was a, I mean, besides Nathan Cirillo, there was another hero in this story. And I, I always find it very interesting that I bet you, and I'll just pause for a second, not for you, Mike, because I'm sure you can, but for people listening, take a second and think, can you name, you? everyone knows what happened in the end. The sergeant at arms inside the House of Commons eventually killed the shooter. Mm-hmm. But take five seconds here, not you, the listeners. And yeah. can you name, can you think of the name of the person who saved the day that day? And I bet you most people can't. I bet you most people cannot think of the name. Um, the guy's name, by the way, now that you've had a chance, was Kevin Vickers. How is Kevin Vickers not at this point, under the circumstances, a household name and a a name that is sort of symbolic of heroism in this country? I don't know. I, I watched uh, when he came into the uh, House of Commons when they were sitting again uh, for the first time after the shooting. And I remember this tearful look on his face as that he was given a stand standing ovation by all the members of parliament there that was 
that was a really moving moment for me. And um, Kevin Vickers is somebody who I remember quite fondly. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but I mentioned it in the podcast. Vickers is now the uh, um, ambassador to Ireland. And uh, over there, he uh, he also, old old habits die, die hard. He had to uh, undertake some... Uh, evasive action to uh, subdue a person at a, a rally that he was attending as an official. <laughs> yes. Some people just find it, don't they? It just, or it just right. follows them around. It's like Wayne yeah. Gretzky with the puck. It always just finds them wherever they are. But exactly. I, I've, I've often thought while this story is often referred to as the Nathan Cirillo story, and I get that, I often wonder if he doesn't get, I'm talking about Vickers now, doesn't get the credit for what happened that he deserves, that he has become a side note when he should be a lot more than that. Right. I mean, uh, the autopsy showed that the bullet that killed the terrorist actually came from RCMP, RCMP constable Curtis Barrett's weapon. But um, Vickers did what he could to distract the shooter and a couple of the uh, wounds that the shooter suffered as a result of Vickers shots would have killed him as well, just not as instantly. So I think Vickers action is what allowed Barrett to take his shot. And I would bet you money right now, Mike, that, I mean, you mentioned Barrett. If I said Vickers was a name, people were going to have a hard time recalling uh, the number of people who would have come up with Barrett's name are almost zero. Right. Because we didn't even hear about that anywhere, really. Um, unless you read uh, the investigative inquiries or any of that kind of thing. We, we didn't hear that name at all. And again, I wonder if, if the story is told differently, if there is no Nathan Cirillo tragedy outside, if it's just a man who got into the house of commons with a gun and someone killed him. I wonder if we would be thinking differently about those two guys. Um, I, I think they would still be heroes, Canadian heroes. Uh, but I think they would have been more. I think that because Nathan Cirillo, for good reason, his name became the one that we have attached to this story for very good reason. But if he, if his name was not there, we may have attached Vickers name or Barrett's name to this story. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, the other thing, and we only have a minute or so left here, the other thing that's really startling to me, and as I, as I listen to a bit of the podcast, I'm going to listen to the rest of it, but it's, it's how fortunate it was because of how completely horribly this thing really could have gone. I mean, it was bad as it was. This thing could have gone absolutely horribly wrong that day. Oh, for sure. Say, uh, Stephen Harper was in the building and if it would have been a few minutes later, perhaps he could have been walking out, uh, with his entourage kind of thing. And this guy could have encountered our prime minister. That would have been horrific. That would have been horrific if the house had been sitting and this guy had walked into the, I mean, imagine you've got now an, a, an active shooter in the house of commons with everybody in there. Mm -hmm. And, oh. you know, I mean, again, not to let your imagination run too wild, but it's, I really hope, um, that the, in retrospect, and I don't know the answer to this, I really hope that the things have changed considerably in there that would prevent having, having learned this lesson that would prevent this from something like this from ever happening in a worst case scenario that we now have ways to make sure this could never, ever happen again, because boy, it could have been awful. 
Yeah, they did implement uh, some video surveillance that covers all the different entrances and the hallways in the in the House of Commons. And there is somebody who is stationed to watch that particular surveillance at all times. And the communication among the uh, security groups is now uh, it's been brought into one under one command. So there's not the confusion that there was that day. Let us hope not. Uh, the podcast, again, it's Dark Poutine. You can listen to it. It's all about Nathan Cirillo. If you if you want to be reminded of the story, again, very familiar here. Uh, Mike, how would people find the podcast? Where do they, where do they go if they want to listen to it? Uh, you can hear us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or just go to darkpoutine.com. Mike Brown, host of Dark Poutine, which also, by the way, a terrific name for a Canadian podcast. Love it. Um, <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Scott. Uh, again, you know, like just one of those stories that we'll never forget. Uh, I, I would suggest, and I don't, I don't want to be ranking crime stories from this area. Uh, that seems rather ghoulish and rather disgusting. Uh, so I won't do that. But if you were going to have a top five of stories that you will always remember that were horrible things that happened around here, I, I would think the Nathan Cirillo story is in is on that list. There are others, and we mentioned one of them. I mean, Bernardo is in there as well, but there's others. And, and it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that if you were around here when that happened six years ago, chances are you don't forget it. Chances are you haven't forgot. Chances are you were watching when they had the funeral or you were standing downtown. I, I was downtown working on Main Street when the when the hearse and the procession came off the highway and there were thousands of people lining the streets in Hamilton. Had never seen that before. Maybe it had happened, but I had never seen it before. This was such an, a, a story that impacted and touched so many people. Um, very unique. And, and hopefully unique enough that we never have to have it happen again. But very, very unique story. Dark Poutine, if you want to find it. The website is called Dark Poutine. You can find the podcast there. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.